This reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 11, beginning at the 19th verse. Acts chapter 11. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are about to hear Ben speak to us again in a minute, but in the meantime, you will see a slide on your screen with an email address. Kids, this is a great place to send your pictures of your Olympic outfits and of your people paper chains too. So now's a good time to start sending those in so they can be shown at the end of the service. And we're going to hear now from Ben. Thank you. Hello, everyone. It's a real privilege to be able to open the Word of God with you this morning. Remember, not too long ago, I took a friend of mine, Muhammad, a young Muslim man, uh, to visit a church. Now, Muhammad is uh, Aussie-born, but he's from Pakistani background. He's a real Lakemba boy. He's a pretty pious Muslim, uh, but uh, he's been really deeply engaged with the gospel through a number of people. He's read a lot of the scriptures, and he loves Jesus. He, just, he asked me if uh, I'd take him to uh, a big church, and so I took him to a, a pretty large church, uh, not too far from us. And we had the service and we met a few people afterwards. And afterwards, he said, I, I don't think I can go to that church again. And he mentioned a number of things that he found really difficult. One of them was that um, we were welcomed after the service by a young couple uh, who took a real interest in us and particularly in him uh, and kind of peppered him with questions. Uh, and he said it felt like he was being interrogated. I realized that the way that I often welcome people is by asking them about themselves. This couple were trying to express um, interest in him, but he just didn't want a part of that at all. Um, the young woman was uh, dressed in a way that I don't think would be a bother to you or to me, uh, but for him it was an issue because he felt like the church was a sacred space. And there were Bibles on some of the chairs or the pews there. And again, that's not a big issue perhaps for you or me, but for Muhammad, uh, that was uh, a big stumbling block. 
Now, he hasn't even become a believer yet, uh, but in our ministry, we've become uh, increasingly aware over a number of years that we don't want people to have to jump through our cultural hoops and assimilate to us in order to be able to hear the gospel. And when Muhammad comes to faith in Christ by God's grace, we don't want him to be inhibited in his growth by things that are really neither here nor there. So what do we do with him? What is the best way for him to be discipled? What's the best church family for him? I'm not sure we've really figured out the answer to that question yet, but I think the passage that we're looking at today from Acts 11 is part of God preparing us for what's to come and how we can care for these people. We pick up the story in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, and just by way of context, uh, this is taking place, we're told, after Stephen is killed by stoning. There's a persecution that breaks out in Jerusalem and Judea, and a lot of the Jewish Christians spread out. They go as far as uh, Lebanon and Cyprus and Antioch, which is in southern modern Turkey. It's a big city, about 500,000 people. And we're told that they started to spread the gospel there, but only among other Jews. Uh, that's at the end of verse 19. But then something new happens. And missionaries arrive. Now, they're Jewish missionaries. They come from Cyprus, the island in the Mediterranean, and from North Africa. And they come to Antioch and they start preaching the gospel, not just to Jews, but actually to Gentiles as well, to people from the nations. So they're doing something new. This is not just the old pattern. And at first, it probably doesn't seem too strange to us, you know. Uh, the gospel going to the Gentiles? Absolutely shocking. It's not shocking, isn't it? You think, I'm a Gentile, and I think, of course the gospel's for me. I'm a Christian. But it's important to remember that at this point, there actually aren't any Christians. There's just followers of Jesus, almost all of whom are Jews. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, uh, he comes from the line of David, the Jewish king. Uh, the Old Testament scriptures that prophesy his coming are Jewish and he dies in the Jewish capital. But these Jewish missionaries actually deliberately start sharing the gospel with the Gentiles in Antioch. And this requires a massive shift in thinking. They're really out of the box. They're deeply in tune with God's plans and purposes for the world. And this is a, a work of the Spirit. And what happens when these new missionaries start preaching the gospel? Well, what we pray always happens when the gospel is preached. A new church forms. A great number believe, and a new church of Jews and Gentiles forms. It may have been predominantly Gentiles. And this is just what Jesus said would happen when he first sent out his apostles. Now, there's something strange going on in Antioch. So news of this... Um, gets back to Jerusalem uh, to kind of the establishment, if you like, the Christian Jewish establishment, and they send someone up there to poke around and see what's going on. And they send Barnabas. He's a man that they trust. Uh, and they send him up there to observe uh, and report back. You've got to remember, this was a huge new thing that was happening, Gentiles coming to faith in the Messiah. And it says in verse 23, when he arrived... And saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all. He saw what the grace of God had done. They had suspicions down in Jerusalem, but they sent Barnabas and he reported back, no, this is a work of the Spirit. 
This is the grace of God that is being poured out on Gentiles, just as it has on Jewish people. This was Christ-centred evangelism that led to Christ-centred church. And it's really easy to underestimate the significance of this when you're part of the establishment, I suppose, even now. If you're part of the establishment, it's, it's hard to be open to new things. I'm part of the establishment. I grew up not far from Willoughby in Linfield. I was baptised in the Shaw Chapel where I went to school, in high school. Uh, I was confirmed at St Albans Anglican Church. I'm an Anglican, I'm an Anglican minister for Pete's sake. So I'm, I guess I'm part of the establishment, the Christian um, Anglo-Aussie establishment in Australia. And how do people become followers of Christ, Christians as far as I'm concerned? Well, someone invites them to church and uh, they get a bit of a taste of that. Maybe they join a course that we're running uh, over a series of weeks after a conversation with the minister, maybe their friends who invited them to church in the first place, they decide they want to follow Jesus. We baptize them and they join a Bible study group and they're on the path. And hallelujah, may there be much, much more of that. Fantastic. But sometimes that doesn't fit what we see around us. What we're used to doesn't necessarily work for everyone that we meet. I have the great privilege um, of being part of a small group that meets in our home. This small group is uh, people who are all, I think except one, all of them are from Muslim background. They're from Egypt, India, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan and Bangladesh. Uh, it's amazing. It's a real privilege. And for this group, gathering in a traditional church or joining a traditional church gathering is pretty hard. Uh, they've tried it in different places, different ways, um, but they've found that really difficult. But in our fellowship, in our home, they've found their church. That really is church for them. And they're growing. And it's an incredible privilege to see that growth. What I'm seeing is what Barnabas saw, the grace of God actually at work in their lives by the power of his spirit. So what does Barnabas do when he discovers this, um, this thing that's going on by the power of the Spirit? Well, he brings Saul, who we come to know as Paul, to invest in these people. And they spend a year there in teaching and discipleship and in evangelism, uh, feeding that church and as part of the ministry there. Ultimately, that church is the one that commissions um, Saul or Paul and Barnabas to go on what we call Paul's first missionary journey. And what happens as this uh, fellowship develops there, this new church, is that the people who are following Christ get a new reputation. This is actually the first time that we are called Christians. It's not a term that um, appears very often in the Bible. This is one of only three times we see the word Christian. But it's what we call ourselves, and this is the first time that name is used. And the reason that that name was coined is because up until that point, all of the followers of Christ, almost all, had been Jews. And so they were just strange kind of Jewish folk. But once people from the Gentiles, the non-Jewish population, started to join the church in bigger and bigger numbers, and churches started to form among them, they needed a new name. And so they were given the name Christians. 
which is a great name actually because it, it names us for who we are, the ones who belong to Christ. In my home group, they're all pretty flexible um, uh, and adaptable. They've adapted to life in Australia in different ways, but they don't all find it easy to identify as Christian. It's not because they don't follow Christ, but it's because for them and for their families, in some of these cultures, the word Christian has a lot of other meanings or connotations. And so for some of their families, if they were to say, now I'm a Christian, mum and dad, that would be communicating to their parents that now they go out at night to nightclubs and get drunk, they sleep with people, uh, maybe they take drugs, uh, they, they've rejected their family and the heritage of their community and their culture. Now, all of those things are just speaking out of ignorance of course, Christian doesn't mean that, but it doesn't mean that to us. You know, language, words only mean what we say they mean, what we agree that they mean, and in those communities, the word Christian is really loaded. In the end, what matters is that they follow the Lord Jesus as their Lord and as their Saviour, not whether they have the label Christian on them or not. So in Antioch, this new reputation develops. People are given a label, uh, Christian at that time. And I don't know, sometimes I think maybe we need other labels uh, for people who've come to faith from Muslim background, um, coining new terms to give them the freedom to worship Jesus as Lord and Saviour without some of the baggage that's accumulated around the word Christian. At the end of the passage, something really strange happens. A prophet comes and prophesies uh, a famine. Uh, our attention is not really drawn to the fact that this prophet, prophet makes a prophecy. What's really highlighted here is the fact that these new Gentile Christians, when they hear there's going to be a famine in the south in Judea, they get a whole lot of money together and they send it with Paul and Barnabas back to their older brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. There's a new fellowship that forms because they're united in Christ. And generosity and love have become part of that fellowship, even though these people have never met one another. Some years ago, I met with um, a man from Muslim background who'd come to faith in Christ uh, from the Middle East. And I was visiting him one night and he washed my feet. It was really... Um, a special experience and I decided to do that with my small group um, after that. We washed at one another's feet as a way of serving one another and we read from John's Gospel about Jesus instituting that as a way of blessing one another and as a symbol of the love that we ought to have for one another as his followers. We have a deep fellowship in that group. We're connected, even though we're from lots of different backgrounds and cultures and our heart, our mother tongues are different. We actually have a deep unity in Christ and we want that to spread to other people in their communities. My prayer is that I won't just stick to what I'm used to uh, or comfortable with. And that's my prayer for you as well, who are the salt of the earth and the light of the world in Willoughby. I pray that all of us will be open to what God is doing, to be able to see when the Spirit is working and see what the grace of God does in people, and that when we see it, we'll invest in it 
that we'll get alongside those people, that we'll be willing to think differently about some of the ways that we're used to thinking about church and discipleship and evangelism. And I pray that that would be to the great glory of God, that more missionaries would be raised up from among these communities who come to faith, and that we would experience, even now, the kind of close fellowship with those people that we will enjoy forever and ever in the heavenly kingdom.